0: All right, welcome in episode 114 of the Hawk Reds Podcast. I'm Travis Jadon. With me, as always, Spencer Maddox. Got a good show today. We got our interview, second-time interview with Alderman Nick Palumbo coming up at the end. We're going to talk globe. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. But you'll remember um, Alderman Palumbo from episode 69. Nice. He's back again for episode 114. So stay tuned for that at the end. Spencer and I will chop it up on a bunch of sports-related stuff in the opening half. But first, Coach's Corner, the number one sports bar in Savannah, www.coaches.net, 3016 East Victory Drive, or call ahead 912-352-2933. Coach's Corner is your spot for watching the Braves all summer long. Got the NBA playoffs still going strong um, for special events, including Kentucky Derby for big fights. Go check out Coach's Corner, Hot Wings, Cold Beers, and TVs all over the place. If you're a sports fan and you want to go watch a sports game at a sports bar, Coach's Corner is the only place in Savannah that you can reasonably do that without having to worry about missing any of the action. They got TVs everywhere. They got other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network. Uh, Rubbing and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain, who is on First Base Baseball Podcast with Carl and Kyle Lawson as well as Carl by himself, Carl DeMossi, on Wednesday nights and Saturday mornings. Find all of that over on the Coach's Corner Facebook page. And go check out Coach's Corner today. Tell them we sent you. John Henderson, the owner. uh, Tell him that you heard his ad on the Hot Grizz podcast, and they will hook it up for you. All right, let's do it for 114th time. Hot Grizz podcast. I
1: mean, I've always kind of believed in aliens, I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. You
0: like might as well just walk up like to me, keep like it like while he's on his like lunch me, break, and you know, like cranking like or something. Yeah. the yeah. like so <laughs> little baby right. Now. We'll
1: see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports, <laughs> sports <laughs> podcast and yet to bring up not one sport. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> all
0: right, Spencer. Crazy weekend of sports. Wild weekend of sports. There's sports all over the walls. Uh, it was a great weekend. sports, It was a long weekend for yours truly. I don't know about you. Um, I had a wedding this past weekend uh, and sort of extended it into a full weekend-long festivity for me. Uh, I know that you have some interesting stories from your weekend as well. We'll get to all that at the end, but um, sports were around this weekend too.
1: Yeah, they were, man. Uh, Both of us had an interesting week. I'll put it that way. Um, Yeah,
0: that's one way of describing it.
1: Yeah, so so you had like a little mini bender uh, for good reasons. A wedding's always a good reason to have a little two day bender, um, and you're not a bender guy. Notably, like if you drink one day, you're pretty much done for two weeks. You know, what I mean that's my experience drinking with you. That's um, correct. Okay, so this that's like a special occasion for you, which is like I, I'm interested to hear how that went down. Um, but we'll get into that. We'll get into the off-the-court stuff later. Um, <laughs> okay. What do you want to start with? NBA? Uh,
0: uh, I feel like we have to start with NBA playoffs, which which is basically, I don't really want to get into Warriors-Grizzlies. I mean, I guess we could get into that. I, and I don't really want to get into heat Sixers, unless you really want to get into that. But the two that I want to get, I certainly want to talk about Phoenix and Dallas. We have to yeah. talk about Chris Paul and Chris Paul's mom on Mother's Day.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've got to talk about that. And, of course, that's the uh, the one series where I've watched the least amount of games. Oh, me too. Uh, I definitely, I didn't I didn't watch last game. I kind of wrote Dallas off, I'm not going to lie. Um, I just kind of assumed Phoenix would. I'll, I'll tell you this much, I'll be watching from here on out, and I'll – I'm definitely going to watch the recap of the first four games. Um, but I, I definitely wrote Dallas off. I did not think they were, I thought they'd go down three, one, you know what I mean? Pretty quickly. But the, the Chris Paul's mom stuff was pretty nuts, right?
0: Yeah. So do we want to describe what happened here to the listeners? Um, I guess,
1: and, and in- Red, let me, let me describe how this unfolded in like real time for me. So I saw this going down on Twitter. Um, Chris Paul basically saying, because I follow him, basically saying how fucked up it was. Somebody put their hands on his mother, yada yada yada. And there's like a video going around. I didn't uh I didn't watch that video like immediately. I was just immediately on Chris Paul's side.
0: Well, right? you still haven't explained to anybody what happened. I
1: I'm I am explaining it.
0: Okay, there was a basketball game between the Suns and the Mavericks and All right, there- you explain it. During the game, a fan is kicked out, and Chris Paul is yelling at the fan. The fan is kicked out because he allegedly pushes Chris Paul's mother in the stands during the game. Now you go.
1: Right. All right. So there, there we go. And now everyone's caught up. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't see the video. This is like an actual kid, like a sixteen-year-old, and he he looks like a little bit of a you know kind of a little shit, like whatever but he's with Mm -hmm. his mom and there's no video of the actual incident. So it's like, you kind of want to be like, was there like a little bit of a back and forth here? Like, and obviously they're on the road. So, I mean, that can get dangerous quick for sure. But I I, I don't know. Like it just sucks that there's like no video of the actual incident because I saw people, I saw people that I respect in like the basketball it's like the analytics community, like just the basketball community in general that were like, an ejection is not enough. You have to publicly shame this kind of behavior. And it's like, bro, you don't know what happened. Like by all accounts, Chris Paul's mother is a good person, but she could have like said something terrible or done something terrible as well. Like she could have pushed this kid. You know what I mean? Like who knows? And if, if someone put their hands on anyone, they're in the wrong period. Um, but I don't know. I just, I don't think you can jump down people's throats just because they're a no name person. And this is Chris Paul's mother. Um, I don't like those takes. Uh, that's, that's all I got on that, but I wanted to hear your opinion on it.
0: Uh, I have a lot of takes here. Um, first off, this kind of, uh, attitude of the players being, um, able to directly address fans the way that fans are able to directly address players during the game um, is absolute cupcake stuff. It's Mickey Mouse stuff. And for Chris Paul, who is supposedly one of the mentally toughest guys in the league to basically get punked by a Christoph Porzingis lookalike, like a combover over lookalike with an earring who looks like he can't drive yet. Who's there with his boys He's also wearing a T-shirt with a hoodie under the T-shirt, which yeah. is a special, which is a special kind
1: of look. Um, yeah, that's a, that's like a new age frat boy look for sure.
0: Another thing is that that the Mavs win the game, one hundred and eleven to one hundred and two, and Chris Paul and the narrative immediately shifts to Chris Paul and Chris Paul's mother and the fan, not the fact that the Suns have once again found themselves in a dogfight with the Dallas Mavericks who probably should not be that close to the suns in in a seven game series. But right now it's even two to two. Right. So that's all fine. And well, what I have a problem with is, okay. So first off, when someone pushes someone else in the crowd, that should be handled by security within the crowd. And then someone gets escorted out or kicked out. Okay. It shouldn't affect or involve the players on the court in any way. This happened right behind the Phoenix bench and it happened with Chris Paul's mom. So that's why the players were involved. But I'll be damned if I'm playing in a game and I'm going to let anything going on in the stands affect me so much so that I'm... Chris Paul was yelling at the kid on the way out. I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you. As if he's going to go beat up this little kid. This is the head of the players union. Chris Paul. Yeah. He tweeted... He tweeted after the game, quote, want to find players for saying stuff to the fans, but the fans can put their hands on our families. Fuck that. End quote. Um, So Paul's mom, Robin, as well as uh, Chris Paul's wife, Jada, and their two children watched the game right behind the bench. His mother had hands put on her and his wife was pushed. A source familiar with the situation tells ESPN Paul's kids were the witnesses to it. Okay. So uh, there's a lot going on here. The only, the witnesses to it are Chris Paul's kids. Right. And and that's what we're going
1: off of. Like, yeah, that's of, course gonna, of course they're going to, of course they're going to defend their mother and grandmother. And I don't want to call these kids liars either, but it's just like, it, it does not seem like we can get the other side of the story. Does it not? Like there's no,
0: no yeah, we're not going to get it, but we're expected to just believe Chris Paul. Exactly. And if we don't, and if we don't, then that means we're anti player safety or that we're pro uh, people pushing
1: women in the stands. That's not the case at all. Like, right. And th- can, can I just say this? Cause I've never said it like, I've always thought Chris Paul is a bit of a douchebag. You know what I mean? Like, great player. I kind of put him in the LeBron. He's like a mini LeBron to me. He annoys me greatly. So maybe I'm biased in that I don't want to believe him. Like, I don't take him at his word. I think he's like a little bit of a a douche. But I I don't know, man. Like, just the outrage immediately, like the -the over-the-top emotional stuff. And it's clearly a kid, like, who's the adult in the situation you know what i mean like (laughs) that's a child
0: yeah is anybody gonna step up and actually be a responsible adult here and like yeah say that hey it's unacceptable to push people hey we don't know the whole story uh hey like dallas immediately as an organization just said that it was unacceptable not going to be tolerated and like just basically immediately assumes guilt on the part of the kid the kid leaves with his mother will like pretty willingly it's not like he's
1: being dragged out and didn't it look like the kid was like what did i do what did i do yeah yeah (laughs) he wasn't yelling back at chris paul he
0: wasn't yelling back like f you or he wasn't yelling back you know mavs in six
1: yeah so like i felt fooled that's what i that's i guess that's what i'm getting at i felt fooled because i was like oh that's messed up I was immediately <laughs> on Chris Paul's side you you don't dude you don't get my like stamp of approval and then I find out it's some bullshit that that that's got me you know
0: that's a quick way to piss off one Spencer Maddox
1: yes exactly that's uh, so.
0: so do you think that's that there's mind. a trend here starting that Phoenix Suns playoff games result in crowd fights after Suns and four guy last year
1: I think there is a little bit of juice to that dude I think there's also some juice to the Phoenix Suns might not be that good. I mean, they had a bro. They had a little you don't bit think of a the Phoenix cakewalk. Suns are that good? Yeah, they had a little bit of a cakewalk uh, to the finals last year. I mean, it, they played well and they made it to the finals. You got to give them that. Um, but they didn't have to go through a Golden State like a healthy Golden State. They didn't have to go through like the very best of the West. Um, I, I kind of thought they were a little bit of a – I said before the playoffs, I thought Phoenix was a little bit of a paper tiger, and I thought Miami a little bit of a paper tiger. Um, Miami looks awesome for the most part. Um, Phoenix looks meh to me so far. Um, so I'm definitely going to be watching the rest of the, this. I, I think – I want to get your opinion on this. I think Golden State is a clear head and shoulders above pretty much everybody else right now, maybe outside of Milwaukee. Um what's your mm. what's your NBA takes? We'll get into we'll get into Boston and Milwaukee uh briefly because I did want to talk about that. Um but what's what's your takes on the Suns? What's your take on the West? Any who do you got coming out still? I still like Phoenix.
0: Away. I still like Phoenix over Dallas. I, I definitely I definitely love Golden State, especially or we're recording on Monday, so they play tonight game four. Sounds like John Morant's not going to play. That's a whole other story in and of itself.
1: Um, They're currently 10-point favorites, last time I checked.
0: Yeah, they are still 10-point favorites um, over Memphis for game four. I would be surprised if Memphis won another game in that series. Sounds like it could be a gentleman's sweep. Um, I would say this, though. John Morant out tonight. Warriors 10-point favorites. Plus 400 money line for Memphis, who is historically a team that does more with less. I don't know. Plus 400 sounds iffy. We
1: talking I, trap game?
0: Mm, trap game? Are they looking ahead?
1: <laughs> Potentially uh, talking trap game?
0: I, I, I picked the Suns at the beginning of the year. And I, like I still want to lean with the Suns. But if I'm get like if the Suns play the Warriors tomorrow in, in game 1 of a best of 7, I think I might have to switch to the Dubs. Um Milwaukee is a team though, like in and so I guess I'll take the Suns coming out of the West still, but I'm keeping an eye on the Warriors. I'm not ready just yet to write out to write off the Suns, but Milwaukee is interesting to me because A they've done it basically with the same exact Squad and they did it in a very similar way. Remember last year the Bucks would just get blown out in every game one? Right. And people would be like, oh, this is where it ends. And then they would just sort of cruise along while everyone else is worried about Miami, everyone else is worried about Brooklyn. Um last year I think Philadelphia, but so and then Milwaukee just really made it easy work, including Atlanta in the Eastern Conference Finals. Right. I think if Boston can take like if Boston can beat Milwaukee then I believe the winner comes out of the West. I think that. I don't think the Heat, Sixers, or Celtics can beat the, the Warriors or the Suns. But I do think I would take Milwaukee over
1: over I Phoenix. So
0: I think I would take – just because Giannis is such a wagon, man. He's so good.
1: Yeah, he's incredible. Did, I, I don't – I wanted to get your opinion on this. I don't like how they're using him on defense. What, what makes – and it's working, granted – uh, Jason Tatum had a bad game, um, and they, they're they using him in this like, off-ball role. It seems like a lot of times they're like putting him in the corner almost on defense, like the help side defender. They're using him as a rim protector a lot. Um, and I think the idea is not to get him in foul trouble, but what makes Giannis so good is that even if he's having a bad game on offense, he's still the best player on the floor on defense. You know what I mean? So you're almost like fouling that out already by not having him on the best player so Jalen Brown has a good game I didn't see like hardly any possessions where Giannis it like okay if you're gonna if you're gonna play Giannis off ball do it in the first two quarters you know what I mean and then in crunch time throw that man on Jalen Brown stick to him like glue and shut him down you know what I mean put him on the hot hand and just neutralize that because nobody can score on Giannis Nobody. I don't care if it's LeBron James, uh, Kevin Durant. Like, Kevin Durant might be the best equipped to do it, but he's still passing. That's still a bad matchup. Giannis is a nightmare matchup for everyone in the league, period. And when you don't use that, it's your best weapon that you just sideline because you say, we want, it, we want him to score, we want him to do all these other stuff. No. Put him on the, the best player on the team and neutralize him. I thought that game should not have come down to the final possession. Um, I think Milwaukee is a better team than Boston. I, I think – first off, I think Boston can can play with Milwaukee. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. I think they um, can win
0: the series still. I, I think they can too. I want to talk Tatum, about game
1: three and the ending that. Jason, Jason Tatum can't put up ten points. He no, can't put up ten points again. In the no, way. he
0: can't. And at some point, they're going to need Brown and Tatum to play together because after I called out Jalen Brown for what was a historically awful, awful – game against the bucks early in the series he came back in game two and lit it up uh game three came down to the wire spencer and it was crazy at the end with that marcus smart um free throw that he, yeah. look, he purposely missed it like he purposely misses it but before he purposely misses it he did like like a uh not a countdown was it like, a, like almost like a snap count in football And the rest of the Celtics team was like on board. It must have been a play that they had worked on because usually what you see is the player gets the ball at the free throw line and they sort of either try to do it really quick and it and it never hits the rim. Or they get the ball, then they wait a long time and they look at their teammates, you know, in the lane and try to miss it to a side and it never really works out. But what they did was he gets the ball and then he's like dribbling it like a normal free throw and he's like ready. Set. I don't know what the words were, but like ready, set. And then he did it, and it worked out perfectly. He had an opportunity at the rim. And then Time Lord Bob Williams had an opportunity to tip it in at the buzzer. It was a dagger ending for a Celtics fan. But it should have been three free throws because Marcus Smart was fouled on a three-point shot attempt that would have been given to Steph Curry. It would have been given to Luka Doncic. It would have been given to Trey Young. It would have been given to James Harden, but not to Marcus Smart. Not to the Celtics. We have to go to yeah. line. We have to go to line and miss a free throw on purpose.
1: I thought it was <sighs> it was a foul. It was a shooting. I, I foul. understand. I understand thinking it was a foul. I also understand a no-call. I think it was a foul. Um, I understand the no-call in that situation. I, I probably if I'm the ref there, I probably call that. Yeah. I, I understand the frustration from Boston fans there. Well, um, because
0: you called the foul. It's not like they didn't call a foul. They called a foul. They just yeah, said he wasn't in the I, active I mean, shooting. He clearly yeah, wasn't in the I mean,
1: active shooting. Probably should have been free throws. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not, not not a no call, excuse me. It probably should have been free throws there. And oh my God, dude. The the Horford. It just makes it so much worse that that ball went in. You know what I mean?
0: Yes. But, I didn't even think about that. That Horford tipped it in.
1: Yeah. That, that makes it so much worse. And, uh,
0: and then you have tight? those 15 seconds after when you know that the shot is not going to count, but the announcers must tell you, they're reviewing the play, they're reviewing the play, and we've already seen it three times. We know it doesn't count, but you have to sit there for an extra 15 seconds knowing that you're about to lose basically twice in
1: the last 20 yeah. seconds. <laughs> the Boston bench thought they tied the game up, basically. That, was, that was all shows
0: styles. you how dumb the Boston bench is and how bad those players are and how rarely they're on the floor. Because Luke Cornett's jumping up and down,
1: uh, <laughs> I mean that was tough, dude. Terrible look, terrible. But terrible. yeah, I, I dude, just just looking ahead. Uh, I I don't understand, and this is a broader point here. I don't understand how it's possible that Bud hasn't used Giannis on. And I don't want to keep harping on this. He hasn't used Giannis on. Tatum or Brown in that, in that past game when it was close, especially dude, what is that dude doing guarding Peyton Pritchard in the fourth quarter? Like just chilling in the corner. You know what I mean? I don't
0: understand why you don't like, okay. So are you saying that you disagree with the reasoning or that you don't understand the
1: reasoning? First off, I disagree with the reason entirely. If he, if he was my best player, he's guarding the best player one through. Right, but then you first. can't.
0: But then you can't play him forty minutes, which he which he played forty minutes.
1: Why not? Why can't you have he? to?
0: Because you have to give him time off. And if he's on the court, there's ways to get a guy time off while he's still on the court. One of those ways would be to guard a
1: bum like Peyton Pritchard. I guess in the regular season, yeah, but you can do it in the playoffs, especially in a massive game. I don't know, man. I, I kind of, I think it's kind of smart what they're doing. Like, it'd be different if they were losing. All right, so, they, so yeah, let's let's run with that logic. What about in the fourth quarter, when the game's tight?
0: Yeah, Why I want him him on, I want my best defender on whoever the best offensive player is.
1: Absolutely. Especially when that defender is the best defender in the world, period point. But okay, blank. so
0: Mike Budenholzer is not dumb, so why is he doing that? There has to be a reason.
1: I don't get it. That's that's what I'm saying. And it's troubling to me. Is that what they're gonna do uh against somebody like the Warriors? Are they not gonna put Giannis on Steph Curry at all? Are they not gonna uh, like Well
0: who would Giannis have to even guard like on the Suns or the Warriors?
1: You know what I mean? Like I don't you put him on Devin Booker. You oh. put him on Chris Paul. It doesn't matter. You take one of those guys off the floor and say, "Okay, he can he can guard. He's basically two people on this one person." Okay, he neutralizes that player. We're getting so, a
0: little too inside basketball, but I hear you on that. Right. But okay, if Giannis is guarding Devin Booker on one end, let's say Bucks Suns Finals, the NBA's worst nightmare. By the way, a repeat yeah. of Bucks Suns Finals. If Giannis is guarding Booker on one end, Booker puts up a shot, misses, and now the Bucks are coming back down on the other end. Booker's not guarding Giannis. No. Okay, so now you have a cross match the entire time. Now you have Giannis the entire game looking for his guy to guard to defend each time after o- coming down the offensive end. Like he's going to have to find Devin Booker and match up with him every time because Booker won't be right on him. Does that make right. sense? Like if you're not guarding the guy that's guarding you. you
1: I do see what what you're saying, and we'll move on. And when this becomes a talking point in the next (laughs) series, I promise you I'll bring it up again, but Giannis is a better defensive player than he is an offensive player. He's a fantastic offensive player, but he's the very best defensive player in the world. That's what makes him the best player in the world, in my opinion. And when you don't put him, when you don't utilize that to its fullest extent, you handicap your team. You you are less than what you could be. That's all I'm saying. And I I think the Bucks could be the best team in the world, but I don't know what that looks like because they won't utilize, they won't play to their best ability from coaching decisions. So I don't know. I guess it's just frustrating from a basketball fan not to see those matchups and not to see Giannis, like, get that opportunity. But I, I maybe I am wrong, but... We'll see in the next series moving forward because clearly right now what they're doing is working. Uh, I want to see them in a hole, though. I want to I want to see them down 2-1 or down 3-1, and if they still do that, then that's on them.
0: All right, well, let's move on to uh, some kind of off-brand sports. We had Kentucky Derby over the weekend, but we also had a big, big boxing fight. Canelo Alvarez uh, knocked out – or, I mean, I'm sorry – Canelo Alvarez loses in upset fashion Saturday night uh, in Las Vegas. And Spencer, you've rewatched the fight. I have not. I've had my hands full with a bunch of other sporting events. Like what a rough life we've had, you know, Spencer. Like we just have so many sports that we we have to watch. So I want to let you kind of break down the Canelo fight. We won't go long on this, maybe five minutes or so. Tell us what happened, how Canelo lost, and why it matters.
1: Well, the the judges scored it the first four rounds. This was controversial as hell. I even tweeted about it. That Canelo won the first four rounds. That is not what I saw. Um, neither one of us can pronounce this guy's name. We're gonna say Bivol? Is that what we is that what we uh Yeah, I like on? that.
0: I like that. Bivol.
1: All right, we're gonna keep rolling with Bivol. Um he's a legit fighter, obviously. Um, a champion in his own right. Um obviously nobody gave him a shot against the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world or what was the number one ranked pound-for-pound fighter in the world, that will no longer be the case. Um, Canelo just got outclassed, man. Like, he got – there was a couple times he got, like, put in a corner. um, Bivel threw way more punches, dude. It looked like Canelo was just trying to figure him out and, like, kind of, like, see where his openings were and then try and attack. Uh, And he just never figured it out. Um, he's also kind of known for starting a little slow and like not being super aggressive in the early rounds. And it came back to bite him in the ass. You so, like, he needed to let his hands go. Um, but they looked faster as well, which was a little strange to me. Like, I don't, I don't know. He just looked, he did not look like an underdog the entire time. It looked like pretty much after round two or three, I was like, okay, this is a real fight. And this guy looks like the better fighter. Um, so it wasn't like a fluke. It wasn't like he like hurt Canelo early or something like that, which is what I was thinking when I saw the result. I thought maybe he got to him, hit him hard, and then Canelo was trying to like regroup the entire time. No, he just got outclassed. Uh, so that was really interesting to see. Uh, I'm a big Canelo fan. I know you, you were, you're you a Canelo guy as well, right? Trav?
0: I like Canelo. My bad. I was on mute. I am a Canelo guy. I like Canelo and I didn't watch the fight. So I don't want to pretend like I did, but I've read about it and and I've seen like the compie box stats from it. It, To me, it just goes back to uh, who, who my guy has always been Floyd Mayweather going undefeated in boxing is nearly impossible. And that's what he did. Like Canelo is one of the greatest fighters of this generation. And even he had a slip up. It's not like Bivol's like, or Bivol's like, you know, A a terrible fighter. Like, it's not like an all time upset. He's undefeated, by the way. But, uh, like, I I just think that this is not great for boxing. Like, even though it could be a good fight, it could be, you know, a high pay per view, but it's not great for boxing that your rising star loses to a guy that essentially no one had heard of outside of extreme boxing
1: circles. All right. So, here's where you're wrong. Uh, Okay, okay. Floyd Mayweather was great for boxing. He was a great draw, sure, but he also dodged people left and right. He didn't fight Manny Pacquiao in his prime. Uh, He never came back for Canelo in his prime. Canelo was a baby when he fought Floyd Mayweather. So at least Canelo is taking on these challenges. You know what I mean? That's that's what I and he
0: and he lost, dude. Mayweather fought Alvarez. Mayweather fought Alvarez and beat him. He fought Pacquiao. He beat him. He fought fought everyone and he he beat everyone.
1: He he fought him when he was a shell of himself.
0: All Pacquiao had to do to take the fight originally, all Pacquiao had to do was to agree to take a drug test after the fight, and he wouldn't do it. That's what was required. Right. Okay. Floyd Mayweather was old when he fought Pacquiao too. And he still beat that ass.
1: He still didn't fight him. though. He didn't fight him until way, way later, way after prime. So like Mayweather was out of his prime too. I hear you, but that's, that's what, I mean, that's the argument against Floyd Mayweather and it's a damn good one. Like it can't be ignored that the guy didn't really fight anybody in their prime. You know what I mean? Like once, once he had established himself, he just put it on cruise control, and I hate to see that from fighters. And yes, Floyd Mayweather is one of the greatest of all time, especially in that division. Um, but, dude, I, I mean, I want to see my fighters fight the very best. I don't care if they don't go undefeated. I don't care. I want to see them fight. I want to see, like,
0: do you think? Do you think eight- the, the the sporting community, people like you and I, who are not diehard boxing fans, but we like boxing. When it comes around. Yeah. Do you think that this fight moved the needle at all towards another fight? Like would Alvarez Bivol too? Is that going to be a highly anticipated fight? Because the boxing community thinks so. Supposedly that is now the number one fight in all of boxing that people want to see. Alvarez Bivol. I think
1: so. Like I, I, yeah, I want to see that as well. Also. I mean, if, Bibble comes out and knocks him out, or beats him again. Then you have another rising star. Like, I mean, yeah. this is how careers are made. And like you said, the the kid is like, he's unbeaten. So, so the I mean, fight
0: stats were crazy in this. Um, Bibble threw seven hundred and ten punches compared to Alvarez's four hundred and ninety five um, total yeah, punches.
1: The- back up, dude.
0: Total punches landed. Bivol 152, Alvarez 84. Um, Alvarez, it looks like he pretty much did not win a round. Like, let's take out the first four, um, which, you know, Bivol landed more punches in every single round. Uh, Alvarez still given some of those rounds, but there was not one round after round four where you could make an argument that he won. And even, and we've talked about this before, we'll wrap up, but even, this, even the judges, Still couldn't see how obvious it was. Unanimous decision, but one judge had it 115 to 113. Another judge had it 118 to 110. And another judge had it 117 to 111. Um, Boxing and the boxing judges is the most moronic thing of all time. It still doesn't make any fucking
1: sense. It makes no sense. It wasn't close. And there's no way he won all four of the first rounds. There's no way. So like, you had people like it's fixed immediately. I I was saying it. I was like that. That's a job that that this kid's getting job. There's no way he lost all four of those first rounds. So, I mean, we we've got to have a boxing expert on to explain that. Um, I I'd like to do that at some point. Like, explain the point system, explain the flaws in it, um, explain if they like it or not. Because there's, there's no way, dude, The kid, that kid did not lose those first four rounds.
0: All right. Well, let's move on from that. But first, I'm going to tell you guys about John Carr. John Carr, the number one realtor in the world, 912-228-0916, 912-228-0916. Johnny Carr over at Seaport Real Estate, buying, selling, or just learning more about the market. If that's your goal, call John today. He knows that like the back of his hand. And he has been killing it over there at 7505 Waters Avenue for Seaport Real Estate. Call him. Tell him the Hot Grits Podcast sent you. 912-228-0916. John Carr Realtor. The man, the myth, the legend. All right. Well, moving on. Let's talk uh, Kentucky Derby quickly, Spencer, before we get to the Braves. Um, we wouldn't usually do this several days after the event, but the Kentucky Derby on Saturday... Um, was Liddy. Now, I was watching the Celtics and Bucks, but I tuned in obviously for the fastest two minutes in sports. Lucky strike, 80 to one. 80 to one odds. Uh, pro- the biggest upset in modern horse racing history um, to win the Kentucky Derby. The, the overhead shot of the fight, I mean, of the race, uh, the aerial view is insane. You need to go back and watch it because. He comes from absolutely out of nowhere, Lucky Strike does, um, to win over Epicenter, who was pretty much the favorite the whole time. If you listen to the call, also, it's funny, Like, you know how the announcer, Spencer, will be like, and now it's Epicenter, and now it's Modago, and now it's... Lucky Strike's name doesn't get mentioned. He gets mentioned in the opening rundown, which is right out of the gates when when the announcer announces who... You know, who's in first, who's in second, who's in third, just like opening the race. But he doesn't get mentioned again until literally he almost crosses the finish line. It was so exciting, dude. And what's great is that all these people betting on the derby, which I did not bet on the derby this year, but all these people betting on the derby, rooting for their for their horse or you know, at the bar the night before, telling you about how they love Epicenter, they love the, the jockey, they love Nobody picked Lucky Strike, and nobody was excited when Lucky Strike won. It was awesome.
1: Well, dude, we we were watching it at work, so we're watching it at the bar, and obviously, there's no sound, and it's kind of early in the shift, like classic, classic. So the everyone's turned towards the TV. Nobody's looking at customers or doing any kind of work, and it's just like five bros up there. And right before they all take off, we all just picked a number. And every single one of the numbers we picked was in contention. It was so lit, dude. We were all screaming and like, 16, 16. We didn't even know their know their names. <laughs> and I I swear I've not had more fun watching a sport in years, dude. I mean, maybe maybe Braves World Series because it meant so much. But just in terms of excitement, so lit. But dude, do imagine understand. how
0: much more exciting it would have been if all of you, all of those bartenders right there, when they came into work, they didn't know the Kentucky Derby. Well, you did, but like if they didn't know yeah. the Kentucky Derby, they could just open an app on their phone, bet $10 on somebody and then have that much more rooting interest.
1: Like yeah. think about how
0: awesome that would be.
1: Yeah, it would be awesome. and Like it legally be a to pick.
0: do that, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. To, to to The closest place we can do it is to go to Florida or you can, you can transfer your money into Bitcoin and put it in an offline site, offshore site, which is so yeah. annoying. Um, but, dude, I I was thinking, like, why don't we have mo- – because there's, there's a bunch of these races. Why don't we have these on, like, normal sporting events just cut to these for two minutes when there's a timeout or at halftime or something? Because they're so exciting, and that seems like it would be such an easy way what? to get <laughs> – that's right? the greatest they're idea so, of all time. They're so short and people really like them, dude. There's just they're not enough visibility. Like for the smaller races, like we see the three races throughout the year, uh, you know, the the really big ones, three or four, or whatever however many there are. Um three, there should be three this three
0: and the triple crown. That means yeah, three. Triple means three.
1: Right. So there should be there should be horse racing on TV all the time. And I'm all the way in on it, dude.
0: Dude, we we've got something here. I like. What about this, dude? What about three horse races, like just three horses in the field, but it's a March Madness style. So there's like 16 races in one day, and you just keep ad- and you just keep advancing until you get to the final eight, and then they they race in what is called uh, the the Hot Grits Derby, right. for, for 100 million dollars. And are and, we horse promoters? Listen, in our races. The people get none of the money. The horses get all of the money. And they, get, <laughs> and they just get the prettiest po- – And they just get the prettiest ponies and the best food, and, and they just live in the nicest barns.
1: Oh, man. Oh, man. This went from legitimate idea to hilarious real quick, dude. Damn, we can't take anything seriously.
0: Who are some of the greatest horses of all time? Not just horse okay. race. Not just not just race like racing horses. I'm talking about fictional, real, any horse.
1: Right. All right. So we were supposed to do a top four segment, um, and I failed because I can't really name four famous horses, dude. Like I'm, I still struggled. So I'm gonna let you carry this, and then I'm gonna throw in some horses every now and then. Okay.
0: Um, but so here's what we're gonna do. Over the summer, we're gonna start doing a four pack, and we're just gonna have random topics where we draft or pick four of our favorites so it might be like it could be thing like objects it could be dates it could be people um you know it could be anything um but we're just going to start doing that because sports will start sort of slowing down um horses was going to be the first one but next week let's announce what we're going to do next week spencer what's our homework for next week top four next week what do you think Ooh.
1: Ooh, do you want to stay in like the animal realm, or do we no, want to just go off
0: We can go literally anywhere. Okay. What about what about okay? What about this? What about animated TV show
1: characters? Animated TV show characters. Yep, animated TV show characters. Love every it. character. It. Yeah, every character. Every. Every character. All right,
0: I'm writing it down. Episode one hundred and fifteen. Spencer and I will draft our top four animated TV show characters. Got it. It's written down, so it's official. Um, my favorite horses of all time, in no specific order: Pegasus, great horse. Uh, sea biscuit, great horse. Great film. Also, uh, what about Silver? Do you know who Silver is? Do you know the horse Silver?
1: No, I, Hi-ho Silver?
0: Hi-ho Silver. Uh, right. You might think he's from an Asian heritage, thinking his name is Hi-ho. But no, that's just Hi-ho, and then his name is actually Silver. Uh, Lucky, right. Strike, Lucky Strike did not make the cut, um, even though it was 80-to-1 odds Kentucky Derby winner. I remember American Pharaoh, who was the athlete of the year, I'm pretty sure Time Magazine named him Athlete of the Year, American Pharaoh. Uh, Those are my favorite horses of all time. Pegasus, Seabiscuit, Silver, and American Pharaoh.
1: All right. And I'm going to name the three horses that I know. Uh, Mr. Ed, the talking one. Mr. Ed's a good horse. Right. Um, I'm going to Secretariat because he's the other horse that you didn't name. There was Seabiscuit, then Secretariat, the two most famous, Right. Mm, um, yeah. Um, and then Medina Spirit because that's the one that I remember from last year.
0: Didn't Medina Spirit get murdered after the race?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that's the one that got like caught using, and then then oh, ended up dying.
0: Oh, so one of your favorite horses was actually a cheater, allegedly.
1: Hell yeah, dude! Anything to win. That's what we do here.
0: M- Medina Medina Maguire.
1: First off, we'll in Peta. Peta, please don't sue me because I'm totally kidding. But straight up, dude, if I was a horse owner, you know my horse is using steroids, bro. We're doing everything we can to get an edge.
0: Do you want to guess how much Lucky Strike cost to buy originally? The owners, how much they paid for Lucky Strike?
1: You gonna you gonna let me ballpark it?
0: Uh, yeah, if you get within plus or minus ten thousand.
1: All right, I'm gonna
0: go 35,000. Nuh uh. Yeah. Do you know how much other horses cost? No idea. Uh, okay. Well, like, okay. Damn it. Lucky Strike cost $30,000. But that is. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, that is a crazy low price. Usually it'll be six figures. Really? Yeah. And you got, God damn it. Of course you did it. You ruined the bit.
1: (laughs) Let's go, dude. That's what I do.
0: All right. Quickly on the Braves. Quickly on the Braves. They're playing better. They're starting to find something here, Spencer. Um, Don't want to get ahead of ourselves because as we know, there's a lot of baseball left. Tons of baseball left.
1: Lots Uh, of baseball left.
0: The Braves are 14 and 16 heading into a two-game series against the Boston Red Sox starting Tuesday and Wednesday uh, before three games with the San Diego Fathers, the Padres. Uh, home stand for the Bravos. I believe that the next time we record, they will be over 500. They're 14 and 16 now. They get two games with the Red Sox who are terrible. Uh, they've lost five in a row, I believe. And the Padres, who are eh, not great, so next five games, if the Braves can go four and one, I think next five games Braves go four and one.
1: What do you think? I like that. I like that a lot. Your I, boy uh, I, Max
0: Fried is starting is starting to look like an ace again.
1: Yeah, he is. Everybody's heating up a little bit, dude, and they've they've got some national juice with Acuna coming back. Um, I hated the LeBron celebration. Dude, get oh my that out of God, it,
0: dude. And then LeBron, of course, quote tweeted it.
1: Yeah, you, dude. Ugh. You know Acuna didn't know that that was LeBron celebration, right? Like, he know, he, he didn't
0: because it. they told him about it the next day. They said, you, "Did you see LeBron quote tweeted it?" And he was like, "Yeah, I was." I, I, he said that he was like super excited about it.
1: Oh, I guess that's nice. Damn it! I know. I hate that. Why
0: won't LeBron leave us alone? We're we're not even bothering him. We're trying I to know. talk Braves baseball and Ron Lacuna, and he won't leave us alone.
1: <laughs> Fucking guy, dude. He just weasels his way. He just weasels his way into every conversation. Yep, Max Freed looks like a stud. Uh, I'm a little worried about the young handsome. Uh, I think he's going to bounce back. This is a, kind of a slow, you know, week or so that he's had. Yeah, um, some baby Matt Olson is awesome that's all yeah, I've got a on stud. that he's a stud. he's awesome um all these slowed down a little bit uh anybody you're worried about anybody you want to get after again so since I got
0: after Dansby he started to heat up I also cut my hair in order to not look like a guy that was hitting one fifty nine because I can't have that Swanson's right. all the way up to two forty two which is like you know sounds like, oh, what are we going to do? Be excited about 242? To bring your average up 120 points in 10 days, this is the kind of thing we are talking about. Like All of these guys are going to start returning towards the mean. Maybe they won't get to their career averages, but they will return towards it. So they're going to start coming up. I mean, you, you said you're worried about Austin Riley, young, handsome. I, I am worried that... He's gonna have to try to shoulder too much of the burden if Marcelo Zuna doesn't start hitting for more power and for you know more extra base hits. Uh, Riley slugging four ninety five, not great, but Marcelo Zuna is slugging three fifty nine.
1: Yeah, three fifty nine. Slugging percentages are down across the board, though, man. Like it's the baseballs everywhere in baseball. It's yeah. the baseballs, bro. It's the baseballs so a lot of those slower guys like aren't getting doubles. You know what I mean? Like this, the slugging percentages for center fielders aren't really down. Um, like, I mean, it, that might be anecdotal because Buxton's just smashing baseballs, Mike Trout's smashing baseballs, but they're getting a lot more doubles than these like first baseman and right fielders. You know what I mean? That's a little yeah. inside baseball for you, but you know, slugging percentages down across the board. So, where do you go from here if you're the Braves? If you're well, if you build home runs, you know what I mean. I'll
0: tell you what they do. Since Ronald Acuna come came back, they're stealing bases. They have yeah. twelve stolen bases now. They had one. They had one. Ronald Acuna came up, and then within two days, he had more than the entire rest of the team. But I think his ability to start running has led other guys to start running. And for Acuna, who has come back and really, really played. I think as as well as you could have expected, especially of late, two seventy eight, three sixty six, five hundred for Ronnie Acuna. Um, but like I said, the four stolen bases, the Braves can start doing that kind of thing if they're not going to hit, you know, a bunch of home runs, and if they're going to only hit solo home runs, which seems like that's what they are, they're going to hit a bunch of solo home runs. I need right. Ozzy Albie's. I need Ozzy Albie's to get going. Yeah, I need Aussie Albie's to get going. He's hitting 230 with only a 295 on base, and this is what I we talked about, Spencer. We like you. You're asking a lot of Aussie Albie's to hit lead off, then to hit second. Now he's hitting fifth. Sometimes he'll hit sixth. Some, he's a lefty righty. Like you're asking a lot of them to bounce around the lineup, and you're doing it because he's so good. But because he's so good, it's almost it might end up hampering him. So I am worried right. about about Albie's a little bit. Just set the
1: lineup and leave it how it is. Just set it and leave it. It doesn't matter unless you mess with it. When you start messing with it, that's when it that's when it starts to matter. So just leave it, man. Let him figure it out. Put Acuna in the one hole. Put Albie's where he's always been, and then just leave it. I agree. And put Matt Olsen in four. Good lord.
0: Damn, that that's your hot button issue, bro.
1: Just leave it alone, dude.
0: Uh, like I said, Max Freed four and two, two point six eight ERA. Charlie Morton two good starts in a row. Looks like he's coming around. Uh, Jethro Tull, Ian Anderson, starting to come around. Kyle Wright pitching well as well. So I think a lot of that stuff starting starting to work out in the we Braves, gotta get after Matthew, all right? In the Braves' favor, uh, Nutsack, five five nine ERA, twelve appearances. But for for me, I'm not worried about him because it's still early like Nutsack's not going to come around and show his best stuff till October when the lights are brightest, when the females are out and they want to see him strut his stuff, that's when he'll come alive so I'm not worried about him
1: at I've been all. worried about him I've been worried about him all off season, dude
0: really do you think it's that cop's fault at the parade for, for mistaking him?
1: No, I don't I think it's he on Twitter. Dude, he was on Twitter and he was a little too visible for a relief pitcher for me, bro. Mm. Just a a little too visible, man. A little too out there. And I mean, yeah, he's had a great career, but he had like one dominant year where he like really put himself in the spotlight and he ran with it, bro. Like, you like to see a guy take a back seat. You know what I mean? Be a little humble. But I mean, this is nutsack we're talking about. Yeah, he's still great.
0: I mean, he's still nutsack. The, the bullpen yeah. is – you know who I like? I like Jesse Chavez. That guy comes in and just throws a shit ton of strikes. They use him when they're down uh, usually, yeah. but he keeps them in the games. 2-2-5 ERA um, in six games and eight and eight innings for him. Uh, what about the catchers, dude? The Braves catchers lead all of baseball in batting average and RBIs. Travis, Dar- go, 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 go.
1: Travis Dargo is finally healthy and amongst the best hitters in baseball at the catcher position. Rightfully so. He's a young king, dude.
0: 299, 325, 455 for Travis Dargo. Also, William Contreras starting to play well uh, with the pineapple, Manny Pina on the IL. Uh, He's hitting 250, 368 on base, but he's got three homers, six RBIs. He's also got a stolen base. Willie Contreras, so that's pretty sweet to see. Um anything Love else with it. the
1: Bravos? I think that's it for me, man.
0: Yeah? Well well, what do you think they go this week? Next five games. Two against the Red Sox, three against the Padres. You said four and one. I need a four and one. I like four and one.
1: All right. Uh, I gotta continue the narrative that you're a hater. So I'm gonna bump it up to five and oh. They're going wow. five and oh yeah. Wow. They're gonna win five straight games. Book it.
0: Huh. All right. Uh, let's tell the people about our weekends. But first, Avalu Hemp Shop, Savannah's newest hemp shop at 106 West Gwinnett Street. Find them on Instagram at Avaloo Savannah, A-V-A-L-O-O, um, Savannah. You can also see a story that I wrote about the shop and about kind of their origins on connectsavannah.com. You can also find Hot Grids Podcast now on connectsavannah.com. Just go to connectsavannah.com and then click the podcast drop-down link, and you'll see our show page there. Go to Avalu Hemp Shop at 106 West Gwinnett Street. Check them out for Delta 8 CBD, uh, gummies, lotions, and more. You can find uh, QR codes on a lot of their products, so you can tell where the products are coming from and and sort of how they're grown. But Georgia-based, Georgia-owned, and now with a shop in Savannah, Avalu Hemp Shop, right by Forsyth Park on West Gwinnett Street. Uh, Spencer, you went to a poker game, uh, this past weekend and you called me from it and you had an interesting story to tell.
1: Bro. Um, so I show up, everybody knows I'm a poker player. Yep. Um, I, I, I got word that there was a cash game, um, that I could do well at, which is what I'm always looking for. I'm always looking for a soft game. That's uh, especially cash games. I'm trying to make money. I don't go to there to lose money. So I got word that there was a game I can make money at. I'm there. So I show up at seven. It's supposed to be a seven o'clock start time, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just one dude and two girls there, like right, right on the front porch. They're uh, they're chiefin' some herbature, um, as you like, you know, as as you like to call it, herbature. Um The Greenery. The Greenery, yeah. And uh obviously I don't smoke, so I was just like, no, I'm good. And he, he introduces me, he's like, Hi, I'm uh whatever his name is, and then he goes, This is my wife, says her name, and then looks over to the other woman and says, This is also my wife. And I started to laugh because I thought he was joking, like like that's a weird way to introduce yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm so glad I didn't because we're the next words out of his mouth were we're polyamorous. And then what? I blacked out. Yeah. yeah. Then I blacked out. And I like, if you know me, you know, like, like I'm cool with whatever you want to do, bro. Like you do you, you know, I'm not judging anybody. I want everybody to be happy, but I wasn't told this ahead of time. And I'm the only one there. And when I say I was truly uncomfortable and did not know how to react Bro, it was. I, Wait a I,
0: second. So you, when you showed up for the poker game and you walk inside and meet the, this guy that you've never met, it's just yeah. you, him, and his two wives.
1: Yes, and Holy the five children. Shit. The the five children that they have running around.
0: And the five children, and they're and he's <laughs> just smoking a bowl, introducing yeah. you to both of his wives. Yeah. And so that's when you left to go, you made an excuse to go to the store and that's when you called me?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so my, friend, my friend that I've known for a long time doesn't tell me, first off, that he's not going to be there at seven, that nobody's going to be there at seven. The game doesn't start till eight, even though it says on the invitation that it starts at seven. I'm so guessing no he
0: didn't gonna- tell you that you were about to walk into
1: a polyamorous household. No. And that's fine. I want to be clear. That's fine. Sure. It's fine if you're polyamorous. Sure. And I will say I went back to the game and I made money. But somebody give me a heads up, bro, because that's all I was thinking about for the rest of the night is that this person has two wives and they're right here and everyone knows it. And am I the weirdo? Like, am, am I the weirdo here? And I felt like I was getting treated like the weirdo, dude. Like, I was a little bit of an outsider here did not know what to do with my hands like the entire time i i just shut up and played <laughs> poker you know what i mean like i did not say any jokes i didn't talk about myself uh there was one dude there that was like 85 years old he was sitting right next to me and the entire time i wanted to be like this is pretty weird huh but i i didn't i like i just sat on my hands i let it happen they dominated me dude and uh that's my night with the the polyamorous the polyam the polyam the poly the polyamorous group, that, yeah, very interesting. So it was
0: night. the it was the polyamorous poker game.
1: Yeah, the poly polyamorous poker. That's poly- what we're calling poker. it forever.
0: Okay, poly- so can you give us a grade, a letter grade, overall oh, ex- for the evening? Overall experience, letter grade. Oh, I'll give him a C plus. That'll pass. That gets you a degree.
1: Yeah, I'll give him a C plus. I don't want to dunk on these people. They did nothing wrong to me, but I was incredibly caught off guard, bro. Like incredibly <laughs> caught off guard. I didn't, it's not often where I have nothing to say and I had nothing to say. I was stunned. So, um, that was my weekend. You had a, you had a wedding though, huh?
0: Oh yeah. Time for a wedding recap, dude. So my cousin, Heather, congrats to Heather, gets married to her new husband, Brandon on Friday, this past Friday in Savannah down at Lafayette square. Uh, so, set the scene. I got to set the scene for you. Afternoon wedding, uh, 5 p.m. wedding in the square, uh, short wedding, and then reception nearby at the Knights of Columbus downtown. Open bar, uh, nice spread, nice food spread. Probably a couple hundred people, I would say maybe 200 people. I'm not yeah, good at Is Isn't it a big wedding? Okay, so it's it might have big been, wedding. let me call it, let me say 125. All right, because it was—I thought it was like a slightly above average big wedding. Does that make sense? But if 200 is huge, then it wasn't that.
1: It's—it's it's not massive, but it's pretty—it's pretty dang big. It's on the bigger side.
0: So we're gonna go sure. 125 to 175 people there. Okay. Um, Word. First off, I got obliterated Friday night uh, after the wedding or at the reception. So a lot of this uh, you know, recap is coming from my phone notes, which I'm just typing in the whole wedding and the whole reception. And you can tell as I get further down in the notes doc on my phone that the spelling is just unreadable. A lot of the things I had no <laughs> idea what I was talking about. And, and at, one, at one point I, I put DJ, goatee, laugh out loud. That's what I put as one of the notes. So the DJ will start there. Uh, DJ no band, uh, so that's a positive. DJ no band positive. DJ with uh, a bald head but a a full goatee negative. Uh, he reminded me of a guy that worked at um, like he was a guy. He's a
1: guy that works at movie gallery or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. But was, he's he, like, was he was he a little bit Hispanic because I think I know this guy. He was not a little bit Hispanic. Oh, okay. Points deducted. Because bald head, a little bit of a goatee Hispanic guy would have been points added because that guy's cool. If it's just a white guy, I'm I'm envisioning something negative now. Okay.
0: Um, So reverting back to the actual ceremony, short ceremony, positive. Uh, Square weddings, outside square weddings, negative. Not a fan of those. Uh, I don't want to have to like – and, I, and I'm with my date, you know, which as we're walking up to the wedding, I'm walking through the square, you know, t- towards the seating or the standing area to watch the ceremony. And she and my date's with me. And she's like, can we walk on, can we not walk on the grass? And I'm looking around and I'm like, well, it's a square of, you know, it's a square of grass. There's, There's just grass all over the place. And so I had to walk back out back around to get back onto the sidewalk so she could walk on the sidewalk up to the ceremony. So not a fan of having to deal with any of that shit uh, at a wedding. Just just go to a church. You know what I mean? Go to the house of the Yeah, Lord.
1: No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you there.
0: So that's a negative. My brother-in-law, Chris, was the um, – what do you call the person that, that marries the two people? Was it the offic- offic- aficionado or official?
1: That's official, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so he was officiating the wedding, um, and I thought his performance was eh. It was eh. My brother in law is a great public speaker, really funny, uh, never gets nervous, but you could tell, in you know, during the ceremony, he was he was shaking his words a little bit. It was a little iffy, um, and it ended up being probably a little longer because of some of the words that he was stuttering. So, not great performance by Chris, but so he Chris made
1: him- the his game a little bit, maybe. Huh? He was just off his game a little bit. Maybe so. he had a little bit too much to drink. Well, the I night think before.
0: so. Listen, he's done a lot of weddings. Um, he gets paid nothing for them. He just enjoys uh, <laughs> being a part of it. He, I think he enjoys just being on the stage because he's, he's married to like several of his friends. And including – he's, he's also officiated uh, his his sister's wedding. Uh, so he's, he's a veteran at this, but not – look, not every game's a perfect game. Right. Gives, but what do you do? You got to make up for it on the back end. So when he gives his speech at the reception, people are wondering, is he going to bounce back from that? Is, is he going to stutter? Is he going to be nervous? Oh, no, 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 friend. He was not. He gave a heartfelt message to the bride and the groom, and he ended with a reading, a poetry reading. So you know how you would read a poem, like slowly looking up from your card every now and then? putting emphasis on certain words. He reads a poem and he announces it like this. And now I'll close by ending with a poem from a great American poet, Method Man. And he proceeds to read lyrics from a Wu-Tang song for like the next 60 seconds. And he reads it so slow and so serious and everyone in the crowd was dying laughing and he did not break one time, did not smile or anything. He was reading it like it was a Bible verse, and it was the pretty vulgar language coming from a method man. (laughs) So that's a plus. So he bounced back from that. That's a plus. We're back up to a plus.
1: Chris, I I will give this to Chris. He's great wedding speech guy for sure. Oh, one hundred
0: percent. One hundred percent. Square weddings, brother in law. Okay, so now what else is next? Uh, See the actual reception, open bar. Full spread, really nice. Like they were having, uh, I mean, all like wine, beer, but also like liquor options. So the full bar plus open bar, obviously a plus. What about the food spread? The food was awesome. The plates were Spencer, were so small. You know, it's like a walkthrough buffet that you had to like decide which parts of the buffet you weren't going to use or weren't going to eat unless right. you were going to go back up twice.
1: Ooh, so I just, that's a big negative, dude. That's so a that, big negative.
0: That's a negative. You can't have an abundance of great food with small plates. That's not fair to us. Okay. Are you sure there weren't big plates I'm, available? Okay, so I looked into this because I didn't want this to come back and haunt me. I searched high and low, bro. Couldn't find any regular sized plates. I don't need a jumbo plate, just a regular size plate where I got some options, some room to maneuver. Um, So I went back up to the buffet twice. Uh, That's a negative. That's a negative. All right. Sparklers after a wedding, when you have to line up after the reception, when everyone is housed and ready to go to the bars or ready to go to wherever they're going, they're drunk. Everyone's drunk. No one wants to get organized. You have to get organized and get in two single file lines and hold these sparklers up while the bride and groom walk through slowly and awkwardly, and they're both drunk, obviously. Yeah. That sucks. There's nothing worse than having to do the sparklers at the end of a wedding. But I understand it because I had just gotten full. I had just gotten drunk. All of this on their dime, so I'm willing to do the sparklers. I'll call that a neutral. Not a negative, not a positive, just neutral. But sparklers got to go at weddings. They got to go.
1: You agree? Agreed. So, but you did get hammered, which is a major plus, right? Like,
0: correct. Last negative though, I lost my Ray Ban sunglasses, uh, which
1: stunk. That's yeah, not great. But that's no one. That's no one. No one's fault but your own.
0: And look, hand up, hand up, hand up. That's on me. That's, my, right. responsibility. that's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. So,
1: do you have a final grade for this wedding?
0: Of course I do. This was an overall grade of a B plus wedding. And that ain't nothing to sneeze at. Now, a B-plus, a B-plus wedding gets you places. And look, check in 10 years from now. If they're still married, I might bump it to an A-minus. Who knows? I'm sure they will be. So, and it has the potential to become an A-wedding. But right now, A-plus wedding, not bad at all.
1: Love it. Love it. And just a reminder, uh, don't invite us to your wedding if you don't want us to grade it. Because we're going to grade it.
0: It will be recapped in full. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, also there were it's no fights. Season, there were no fights or anything like that. So that could have bumped it up to an A- if there was at least one fight.
1: No violence, not great. <laughs> All right. Fights are a positive. All right. Word. How did they find you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter, at SpencerModdicks underscore. Don't you dare forget that underscore. Trav, how do they find you?
0: All right, we're jumping you guys now to our interview with Nick Palumbo. Nick Palumbo, second time on the Hot Grits podcast. Uh, We are not going to introduce him at all. We just start rolling. We'll start recording with him. Uh, You guys are going to really, really love this interview. I think it's funny. Uh, It's informative. Uh, The good question count. So Nick Palumbo says good question to me twice during the interview. He says it to Spencer twice during the interview. So we tied – on that. Stay tuned for that episode or for that interview with Alderman Nick Palumbo. Until episode 115, stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. Peace.
2: You guys save the globe.
0: Well, do you want to start right there? We're, we're already recording. Uh, Nikki P. I'm calling you Nikki P, by the way.
2: Come on, man. Bring it. Bring it for Spen- the Hot Grid Podcast.
0: Spencer, you <laughs> still have to call him Alderman Palumbo. Don't forget that. <laughs>
1: Right.
2: Yeah, uh, well, Well, let's,
0: let's start there, though, at the Globe. Can, do you want to just kind of generally update us on, on what's going on over there, not just with the Globe, but with that development in that area?
2: Well, I got to thank you guys for being fierce advocates for going global, which is just super nice, right? <laughs> just nice, all around nice. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are still doing nice, but I still do nice from the, our last interview a year ago. Nice. Nice, 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 nice. nice. Uh, but it has been it has been a wild journey for the globe. I mean, just to do the traffic engineering alone at that intersection, it's White Bluff, Aracorn, and Duren. It's like malfunction junction for traffic engineers. So yeah. uh, only through the diligent planning of a local partner. And we got really lucky that a local business stepped up to the plate. Because anybody else would have looked at that globe and they'd be like, nah, nah, man, I'm not going to get a 1950s, right. 60-foot diameter steel ball. <laughs> I'm not going to keep that. <laughs> uh, but only Greg Parker, only Greg Parker could have the vision to not only uh, save it, but to really make it a feature of the site. So I don't know if you've seen the plans, but adjacent to the globe is going to be a Starbucks and you will literally be able to drive around the globe to get a cup of coffee. That's awesome. That's <laughs> so awesome. People it's it. uh, Savannah engineering at its best.
0: Well, can I ask this? I know a now lot. You're going to drive
2: th- right underneath, so he's going to repaint the thing.
0: Okay, so that was yeah, that was the follow. Oh, so here's ahead. the t- here's the two things that since our last interview, uh, and, and I should say like that interview showed us how much people actually cared about like maybe it was a bit for us a little bit, the globe, but people actually cared about what was going on in that actual area. And the two things that concerned or, or that people asked me about the most after that interview um, was a, are they going to repaint it? Are they going to give it some TLC? And what will that look like? Like, is, is it still going to look the way it does with the advertising on top, et cetera. And then the second one was that people would act, were actually complaining, and they said, "We don't want a Chick Fil A, we don't want a Starbucks, because imagine how bad the traffic will be uh, then." As you know, because it's already bad there now. And I tried to explain to them, you know, that the traffic patterns will flow differently. That that's part of the plan. Can you kind of alleviate those two questions as far as the the look of the globe, like how it will look when it's repainted and redone, and then the traffic stuff?
2: Well, those are great questions. Uh, as far as the Thank look you. goes, you know, I've talked to to Greg about this, and he's really taking it on as his baby, you know, about what it's going to look like. He's slated to repaint it. Uh, I believe right now the plans are just refurbishing as is, you know, paint it as the kind of the topographical globe. Uh, maybe they're going to take the hurricane out or at least get it spinning in, in the right direction. Um, mm. That's the first place to start. The other, which is up for debate, and, and as far as it, its appearance goes, is that, you know, uh, you know, Greg and, you know, the Parker's Corporation, he's never going to miss the opportunity to get some great advertising out of that. Yep. So the Globe really began its life as the Globe as an advertising piece for uh, for the Turner family uh, and Ted Turner's dad actually had an outdoor advertising company and came up with this idea. He lived here in Savannah came up with this idea and he said, hey, I think I can sell ad space on that thing. You got this 60-foot diameter ball, uh, and that's how it became the globe. Uh, But what shape that will take, it's still up for debate. I do know that he's talked about, you know, putting some different lighting and different features, like how do you make it an asset so that you're coming in as a gateway to the city, which could be really cool. But it all depends on the execution uh, I do know that you know construction is dramatically underway, the site was cleared very quickly, and we're talking about a timeline where by the end of the summer, they're gonna be putting the finishing touches on this thing. So it's incredible the amount of work that they've put in so far to kind of do all of the prep work ahead of time. And uh, that speaks to the second point, is the amount of unbelievable engineering uh, that went into this to be able to make this possible. So. It's a very prominent intersection. The land is extraordinarily valuable. So it makes it worth it to put all of this in, but there are very few other places and there are very few other companies that would expend so much time and treasure to make this work. Uh, and that really comes down to traffic engineering. Like how do you figure out these major intersections? Right. Pull traffic uh, off of Duran or off of White Bluff or off of Abercorn on- onto this new destination. So what they've created is a new north-south street that's going to bisect the property between uh, the Starbucks and the Chick-fil-A so that just like when you're coming in, like if you go to the Starbucks that's out on the south side by PetSmart, you're pulling into the development and off of Abercorn Street and then turning all the way around and kind of reverse corkscrew. It's going to do the same thing there. So you're going to be pulling all the traffic off onto this new street then you go all the way at the end of the street, uh, and then you're going to be turning into the property. So they even gave it its own special design because they knew that they were working with a Chick-fil-A. And man, when that sign is on and it's Monday through Saturday, people are lining up. It doesn't matter the time of day. Uh, Man, they got to have that chicken sandwich, you know. So uh, I'm not sure how that's going to work out with Greg's competing chicken sandwiches. But, you know, I'm not the marketing genius that those guys are. But there is going to be a new north-south right-of-way, double lanes that are going to pull into the Chick-fil-A, and I believe 200 parking spaces on the site. By the way, that's that's more parking spaces than even the old uh, Arena and Johnny Mercer Theater. So that's... I was about to say. How much parking spaces are going to be... Uh, allotted for this new development.
1: And Nick, I did want to ask, uh, you, you touched on it. It's huge for people to see that globe or just something coming into the city. Because to me, for so long, that area, not just the area by the globe, but the entirety of Duren, um, obviously there's some businesses there. There's a Parker's there's, there already. Um, we had a Bojangles and a, a Duncan's, I guess. But that area right there has just been kind of unsightly. For years coming into the city. Um, and for a city that leans so heavily on tourism as one of the major like ways into the city, really, one of only three that I can think of, it's just it's such a tough look. Um, so is there more, is, are there more plans for that street in general? Cause for me as a, as a local Savannian, I don't care about the traffic on Duran so much. It's a, we're, we're, a, at the size of a city where there's going to be traffic. So I'm not so much worried about the traffic as I am how the city looks coming in. Uh, So can you talk about what's going on there and uh, if there's any more plans for that area?
2: That's a great question. I mean, and I totally agree. I mean, uh, Savannah doesn't roll up its streets at 5 p.m. anymore. You know, I mean, it's growing. More people are uh, coming here than ever before. And then I believe today it just got announced uh, breaking news that the new uh, Kia electric vehicle plant is going to be coming to Bryan County that's 8,500 jobs. I mean, it, it's, you know, wow. the, the, the place is exploding. Um, but you're right. Those are what, Duran Avenue is one of the three major gateways. You've got Southside, you're coming in on Abercorn, Duran, and then you've got really downtown. Uh, and they've been thinking about this for a number of years. So Project Duran, and that's what we call it, Project Duran is, uh, has been given a significant amount of funding to redesign that entire gateway into, instead of a major highway, turning it into a boulevard. And this very neatly ties together a, a couple of different needs that are there. you got the two major hospitals uh, that you got to get those ambulances in and out, you know, that service the entire county. You've got the communities that are adjoining it that they want to see something that's more beautiful. And then the third big piece, and this is where we're getting a lot of our funding, is, you know. I don't know if you're uh, if you guys served in the military or had to serve at Hunter Army Airfield, but it is a nightmare getting in and out of Hunter Army Airfield, uh, especially uh, after that bugle sounds and, and, and bases. You know, everybody's out for work. Uh, it is a very difficult process getting in. Well, I've
0: tried to I've tried to make tea times at Hunter Army Airfield and and have missed several tea times because of how long it takes to get in and out of that place.
2: That's right. So for anybody that's tuning in, do a Google search of Project Duran, and you can see the latest and greatest uh, as the federal government's helped us out with a lot of funding. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars. Uh, And this is going to be a 10 year effort where we re-envision that entire corridor, focus on traffic engineering and beautification at the same time. A lot of those businesses, they were built about 50 years ago. And now you can see that the reinvestment's pouring back in uh, as we re-envision this gateway to the city. Uh, And it's really going to help us out in our national security capabilities as well. You know, the ability for us to get the mobilized troops, if we ever need them, from Hunter Army Airfield to parts unknown across the country, uh, that's a big part of our national security portfolio. So we're getting a lot of help from our friends in the federal government, Representative Carter's office and our senators as well, to be able to rethink this entire corridor and re-engineer it. So I think that Greg and company... With the Chick-fil-A, the Starbucks and the Parkers, he's the tip of the spear. You know, he sees the investment that's going to be coming down the line and he's getting out in front of it. uh, And he's going to reap the rewards for being really the first major investor back into this corridor in a number of years. But you're going to see additional reinvestment, I think, into the future as this comes online and uh, really excited about the future of Project Duran and the beautification effort that it has.
0: Yeah, I gotta I gotta push back on something quickly. Last time you were on, we were told we were the tip of the spear for Saving globe. Is, is this a dual-sided spear?
1: That's yeah, you right. gotta be careful. We've run a lot of uh you know promotions calling ourselves the tip of the spear. We've gotten a lot of play out of that.
2: Well, that comes from my time serving overseas. I was in the Foreign Service and you know, we love we've got our own jargon. Uh, and I love uh, breaking that out, you know, whether it be war fighting capabilities or the tip of the spear, uh, self-flicking ice cream cone is another big one. Puzzle Palace. Uh, I use them all <laughs> depending on the context, but you know, you guys could be the tip of the spear too. So safe okay, in the good. world.
0: Good, good, good. Um, uh, Hey, I have some, uh, some funnier questions written down too, that I've wanted to ask you. I've kind of kept up with these over the last uh, couple of months. Uh we just had a big boxing match uh, in the world of boxing this past Saturday, Canelo Alvarez fight. Big pay-per-view fight, sold a lot of sold a lot of fights, made a lot of money. Uh Alderman, if there were two city councilmen in Savannah who were going to set up a heavyweight boxing match, which two would sell the most pay-per-view fights? In other words, <laughs> which, <laughs> which matchup would sell the most fights? Which one would people want to see the most?
2: You know, I, I I don't even think that you have to ask about uh, about what two it's going to be. I I think that you just have to wait until November twenty twenty three and, and hope, that, hope that we don't punch each other's lights out between now and then. I mean, you've already got, you know, I'm not I'm not seeking any higher office than than where I'm at, but we have other members of council that are uh, that are already challenging the mayor. You know, and that's made for some really dynamic meetings. I thought that it would get better. You know, but uh, it's only gotten more contentious and political since then. So uh, stay tuned. You know, the great thing about, you know, watching and, and tuning in on Channel 8 is that um, it's absolutely free. You don't have to pay for the pay-per-view. So I think that we we tried to call <laughs> WWE and get a Royal Rumble match uh, for, uh, for the nine of us. But I don't think you should have to wait much longer. I think you're seeing it play out in real time
1: the, the, the mayor we got get ma- you
2: to be the ring girl
1: yeah, well chill the the mayor seems more like a ufc or yeah ufc guy to me uh a bit burly, you know what i mean like i could see him getting in there and scrapping dude i don't know that yes. he's like a yeah he's if, if he's a boxer he's like a tyson fury type you know what i mean maybe you not a voice guy down, so yeah, the you knockout. can wear him down
2: <laughs> there are many days where I say, "Let's just all get in the octagon, put on a tap out T-shirt, and call it a day." Come on, like, let's just get in there and do and just do the damn thing, uh, because it becomes so inflammatory uh, and and ridiculously so. Uh, but we still get the job done, and I, I'm proud in the administration for the way that they've called, you know, uh, carried through over the last couple of years. This is really con- this has been a contentious time for to be in public office, but also for me personally, just so much fun at the same time and, and engaging, you know, uh, where you get the opportunity to work on a lot of different issues at the same time. So certainly, uh, we're past the point of mediation, but, you know, we'll get the chance to take it to the ballot box and, uh, in just about a year and a half now, it'd be exciting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Spencer, do you have anything else for the globe stuff? Otherwise we can move on to, to a couple other things.
1: No, I'm extremely proud of the work that Nick's done, uh, With the globe, and I'm glad that we got to be a small tip of the spear, part of that. Um, But that's that's it on the globe for me.
0: Just a tiny little tip of this. There's a little small part of the tip, and we're on the tip of that.
1: Yeah, we're on the very tip, tip top.
0: But you know what they say? The tip counts. That's what they've always said. (laughs) The tip counts.
2: That's right. That's right. Come on. Uh, Wait a minute. Uh, Yeah, Uh, I'm not gonna make a just the tip joke. You guys can go ahead and do that. Um, But. I will say that the, the way that you all really helped out and, and advanced this issue, and this is no word of a lie, this is no, this is no bit, this is no exaggeration, is that you demonstrated that the needs of this landmark for the city transcend the usual suspects and the usual political characters that we get. You know, we talk to the same folks and I love them, they're like family, they come out to public meetings, uh, but when you guys got engaged, I said, wait a minute, this is something different. This is on a whole new level and, and to show really how it speaks to people about how important that this is. So, uh, and, and generating that awareness either way, it worked. It worked. Yeah. And the last one, it's the last globe that's out there, uh, in the United States that we know of. And it, it's one of the largest. And, um, now it's ours. So you just got to sign that. Once you go through the drive through for your Starbucks, pick out a permanent marker and, and, and sign that bad boy.
0: Well, can I ask you, has the north-south street that you talked about that's going to be in that uh, little development, has that
2: been named yet? It has not been named yet. Now, that's something. (laughs) That's something. It has not. It has not. But I think it's 73rd Street. It's just to the south. And if you take a look at that, it's really designed around making it uh, an entire roundabout. Uh, So, a lot of the bu- buildings there, they needed a lot of love. And, and I love Mama's Furniture. I got a bedroom set over there, but uh, there was that. There was a old um, mechanic facility that, that had some environmental concerns. So by starting anew, right. you could really do some great engineering work with helping cars get around it. And I know that uh, Savanians from all over are going to be really proud of it when it's done. Travis, I
1: right. just right. put up our lobbyist hats. Uh, we we would like to see that name Grit Street. For sure, man. that's <laughs> what I was
0: thinking. Grit Street or maybe Grits Boulevard, or we could we could workshop it. We could brainstorm it.
2: Yeah, that's right. Well, you um, have to determine street, drive, road, um, or or circle. You know, whatever it may circle. be. Circle now. Circle is an
0: underused one. It could circle just be a regular street, but we'll call it a circle. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. The Prep Sports Report has been delivering local sports news one way or another for 20 plus years. Where can you find stories and information about the most outstanding student athletes in the Savannah area? PrepsportsReport.com. That's where. Led by our guy Carl DeMasi and former area sports reporter Stephen Weeks, the Prep Sports Report is a reimagined website that wants to celebrate young men and women who are setting the high school sports standard in Savannah and surrounding areas. Go check out PrepsportsReport.com today. Go like Prep Sports Report on Facebook and follow them on Twitter at Prep Sav, Prep Your number one source for local Savannah High School sports news. Um, all right, um, hey Alderman Palumbo, I wanted to ask you a couple of things uh, about bigger picture stuff in the state of Georgia, um, not just in Savannah. I know a lot of this stuff that you may not have, um, you know, direct voting over or you know, direct decisions over but I'm sure you know being in politics that you have opinions on this stuff and that you're tracking it um when the Georgia legislator or is it called the Georgia legislation or oh, the,
2: the legislature they, what? that's okay, the one they, that's the one I was talking about is the puzzle palace
0: <laughs> <laughs> the puzzle. okay so the puzzle palace so when they wrapped up um in April I think one of the things that we were tracking and that a lot of people our age uh were tracking was the sports gambling in the state of Georgia, um, as other states around us and around the country, continue to legalize that? Uh, unfortunately, that did not get through and did not uh, you know, come to fruition this session. Uh, do you have an opinion on that, on sports gambling in Georgia and sort of the, I guess, the positives and the negatives that would come out of that? And, and do you think that it, it should be
2: legalized in the state of Georgia? that's a great great question uh Thank you. we've been tracking this uh, all across the country as it's evolved and I, i'm going to cue the fog machine for story time uh <laughs> since we're on the hot grits podcast so uh growing up my dad was a jack of all trades master of none and, and one thing that he did was he was a thoroughbred horse race owner uh and trainer at louisiana downs jefferson Downs. so i grew up on the backstretch over there and this was Uh, Before the era of OTB, off-track betting, you had to be in person. And so much has dramatically changed across the country when it comes specifically to sports betting. I mean, for a time, you could only go to – you either had to go to the track uh, where it existed, or you could go to Las Vegas and and bet on different games. The fact of the matter is we know that it's happening. Uh, Between, you know, whether it's for five bucks between your buds or or an over-under game with your friends and family – uh, or your fantasy football league, there's a lot of money that's pushed around in sports betting already, whether or not it's legal in the state. I think it has to be directed to the right place. And for so many of the other states that are out there that have already, you know, legalized this, um, they make it very specific. So I don't know if you've ever utilized one of the apps, but if you go to Louisiana and you want to bet on a, you know, sports betting game, they'll track you via GPS to make sure that you're in the state to be able to do it. Right. Right. I think that, you know, sports betting itself is a, is a fundraising opportunity for the, uh, for the city, state. Um, and folks are already doing it anyway. And you're not going to have that same impact that you would from a casino. You know, casinos can be a real drain on a local economy. It provides some jobs and there's some real detrimental effects that happen to the local area. But for sports betting itself, Um, There are some drawbacks out there, but I think that folks are doing it anyway. And if they are doing it anyway, we might as well be able to fund educational opportunities with it, um, tourism opportunities with it, or like some states have done is they utilize it for recreational opportunities uh, in the state as well. So I think that's a real win-win out there. Now, whether or not that impacts the results of the sports, I'll leave that to you guys. Uh, I'm not going to bring up Pete Rose and get into that discussion. Right. But, you know, <laughs> it depends on whether or not the players can do it. That's a big question.
0: Now, so the thing for me was that I, that was my number one priority was like, obviously I didn't want the integrity of the sports that we love and that we obsess about to be even at all questions, because then that would, you know, you just don't want to open that Pandora's box. But when I see DraftKings and FanDuel and – uh Barstool Sportsbook, when I see all of these companies uh, advertising at will across professional and now even, you know, in some cases, collegiate uh, sporting events, to me, that means that that boat has sailed. The professional leagues and the professional teams have signed on and gotten on board and are on board with sports gambling being legalized and being taxed and being you know, used for monetary purposes outside of the, just the money being gambled. Like there is profits to be made for for governments and for people. So, so the sports leagues and the sports teams have already signed up for it. The last, and it seems to me that the citizens, if given the opportunity, would vote uh, to pass it. The last people we're waiting on, it seems, is, is the people in the state house uh, in in Atlanta to to figure it out. And from the way I understand it, is that now that it's not passed this session, we're now at least two sessions away from it being legalized. So you would have to have it, you know, somehow confirmed, and then they wouldn't vote on it until the following uh, year, the following session. So it, it just seems like we're going to be last in this, the state of Georgia, you know, as we are in, in a couple of other things. Sort of frustrating. That's right.
2: I wish they could crack open the gold dome and get some sunlight in there to show them that, you know, like you said with FanDuel, I mean, those dollars are already going overseas. You could do it. You know, it's already happening today to a high degree. And it's the same thing with cannabis legislation that technically, that was my in next question. Georgia, you can have cannabis oil. You can't get it legally, but if you have it, there's nothing wrong with, you know, and there's 25,000 Georgians that have a license to get it for treatment for for the different illnesses that they have. So, you know, really there's there's a broken mechanism that's in there that needs to be resolved. It, it depends on whether or not the state can acknowledge that these things are happening and whether or not they want to make revenue off of it. I think that I look back on, I, I will say collectively, our generation. Uh, you know, I grew up with LimeWire and Bear Share and I'm glad that we have Spotify now and I don't have to download viruses inadvertently, you know, yeah. I don't like having to go through and, and pirate music. Uh, not that I ever did. Uh, of course not. So, of, so. of course not. Of course not. But I know that it was out there and I knew the people that did, but now that you have a regular directed process, right, you acknowledge that the world's not going to end and Metallica's is not going to sue me, uh, <laughs> you know, that you've got to <laughs> have that process. Like there. There are people out there that smoke marijuana. That's it. They're, they're going to do it. They can either go to Colorado. They can go up to Virginia and do it recreationally. They can go to Washington, D.C. and do it recreationally. Uh, they're doing it here recreationally. Uh, it depends on whether or not you want to make the revenue in, from it and have it as a red, regular, predictable process out into the sunlight. So uh, the same thing goes for sports betting. I mean, it's already happening. Uh, on a small and big level out there. It depends on whether or not the state of Georgia elects to choose that as a funding opportunity for the HOPE Scholarship or any manner of other good things that are happening out there. So we've really got to, we've got to crack open the gold dome uh, for cannabis legislation. It's technically been legal for what, five years? Uh, In the last session, we thought this was the one. Uh, And really what it came down to was a fight over who's going to get the chance to grow it. There's only Mm -hmm. a certain number of licenses, and those licenses are like a money-printing factory. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. the folks that wanted them uh, have been stuck in a heated legal debate over who gets the opportunity to do it. (laughs) And while they're debating it out, really it's the people that suffer. So we've got to crack through um, all of the barriers that are there and finally get the damn job done because uh, that's what the people of Georgia want. Uh, they've said resoundingly time and time again. And and these are, by the way, popular issues. (laughs) These are not, uh, these are not cutting edge things that are, that are deeply divisive or unpopular. Both, uh, I believe sports betting and, and cannabis legalization have widespread support. So it's time for them to get the job done.
0: Yeah. Imagine that two issues that the large majority of the population agree on. Uh, and we still can't figure, figure that out. Imagine that.
2: That's right. And I know from a law <laughs> enforcement side, I, I, you know, I was a police officer in the DC area before I moved to Savannah and I hated wasting my time with, with anything to do with marijuana. Right. You know, what I mean, it's not, it's nobody's hurting anybody like, uh, cause that's going to take me off of a case that I could be working on, on catching bad guys. And I know a lot of the law enforcement officers here feel the same way uh, You know, we decriminalized it less than an ounce here in the city of Savannah, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we're moving ahead with or without the state because businesses are happening uh, and there's so many loopholes that are out there anyhow, Uh, whether it be Delta 8 or uh, I don't know if you remember the era of synthetic marijuana. There's so many loopholes that are out there. Let's just find a directed way for people to get the medicine that they need in a predictable fashion that's not out of control. Uh, and something we can really wrap our heads around into the future.
0: Yeah, and look, we'll wrap up. I don't want to talk about this forever, but I I, I guess I did want to say that it's – does it seem like sometimes that in in order for them to pass something or make it legal, they don't want to do that until – and I say they, lawmakers – they don't want to do that until they have perfected what it will look like. In other words, like, instead of legalizing it and then maybe adjusting it The following year, changing the law four years later, you know, adjusting it to problems that may have existed with it. They need to make sure they have it perfect. Where's the money going to go? Where's it going to come from? Who's going to grow it? What's it going to look like? They want to figure all that out before they ever legalize it. To me, that just seems unnecessary and not reasonable. Like, rarely are things perfectly done the first time
2: around. That's right. Yeah, it, it's analysis paralysis or paralysis by analysis. I mean, Ooh, one another to one. In, uh, it. It, it continuously goes in a circle. But, I mean, that's why we pay them the big bucks, whether it be at the local level or the state level or at the federal level. It's a work in progress to meet the needs of the people as they are, because needs change. New technologies are developed. Younger generations want different things. Older generations get older and they want different things. Like, it's not a static concept. You know, that's what adequate representation's all about. And there's no such thing as a perfect ordinance. Uh, it, it just doesn't exist. You're going to have to ch- change it. And, and really to see them arguing over who gets a grow license or not, I get it. There's a lot of money to be made, but is that an excuse to hold up the entire process? I don't think so. So, you know, for the city of Savannah level, we're, we're pressing on. We're, we're developing right now a cannabis ordinance and in our zoning code to figure out where it's going to go, because uh, businesses have approached us. So it's this kicked off with a business that approached us. They wanted to purchase an old bank because these are still cash businesses. And they said, this is what we want to put here. And we said, wait a minute. We don't even have that in our, our zoning classification yet. Uh, and then I went around to my colleagues and to the mayor and I asked everybody on the council, I said, what do you guys think about this? Uh And they said, well, we don't really know. We've never asked our constituents. We've we've never had the opportunity to ask. So we're out there actively asking right now, where does it go? How does it develop? Um, And it's still very open-ended in how we approach it. You could, cities have done it different ways where it's scattered across the city or it's focused in a certain area. Um, Some have, you know, mobile dispensaries only, but, you know, it's time for us to be proactive and get in front of it because whether it happens at the state or the federal level, we know where the trend line is headed and it's coming our way. It's time to be ready.
1: Nikki no P doubt. dropping bombs, man. That's, that's gotta be, that's gotta be a news bomb for our listeners. Cause it's a news bomb for me. Um, <laughs> I, I did want to say that, uh, Long-time listeners of the Hot Ritz podcast will know that Travis has had a bad case of analysis paralysis, as you put it, for a very long <laughs> time. <laughs> um, I did have one more question for you, Nick, before we let you go. Um, to me, it seems as as someone who's worked in the the downtown nightlife industry for a very long time, um, that our crime issue, uh, specifically with shootings um, and violence has accelerated in recent years uh, back to almost like pre-2010 levels. Um, I wanted to get your take on that. And it seems to me as if the city has kind of shied away from saying that this gang violence or this is gang related. Um, Granted, I'm not always looking up to see what the the city issues statement when the city issues statements about it. Um, So I did want to ask plainly, does our city have a gang problem? And what can be done from here moving forward to alleviate some of this?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I think to answer it, uh, it's twofold. Yes, it does have a gang problem, but it's a different kind of gang than probably any listener is thinking of. You know, we're thinking back to Bloods and Crips and and back where it was far more formalized and organized with a hierarchical structure. Uh, The gangs that we're seeing today are kids. I mean, they are kids. They're 14 13, 15 years old, uh, where it's them and a group of their friends get together. uh, And it may be official or unofficial or maybe budding. You know, that's how young it is, these new burgeoning uh, gangs that are out there. So it is a very different kind of gang that we've ever dealt with before. Uh, It's very loosely structured, much more like a confederation that's out there than any kind of formal hierarchy with a leader up at the top. Uh, and these are very loosely affiliated, but I would call them gangs because it's a crew, you know, whether it be three or four people that are acting in an organized way. And the amount of retaliatory enviro- uh, uh, retaliatory violence that we're experiencing here in Savannah and across the nation is truly profound and remarkable. I mean, it, it's incredible the amount of gun violence that's happening across the nation, uh, whether it be ease of getting stolen guns, and I think that's a big part of the problem. Uh, or frustration with the system itself. We've got to do much, much more when it comes to addressing violent crime in the city and across the nation. Uh, because it's not just happening here. Not that that's an excuse, it never is. Uh, but it is seems to be a trend that's happening nationwide. Whether it be a frustration from, from COVID or economic policy, you know, there's something that is happening to precipitate this. Uh, and we need help all across the board to be able to address those root causes, whether they be economic or whether they be social or who knows what they're doing out there. We're calling on on everybody to be an ally in it. So we've really plussed up, You know, we're approaching this next budget cycle for the city of Savannah and, and we're coming out swinging. I mean, we're looking uh, across the board at hiring bonuses, differential pay, uh, much higher salaries to be able to attract more people to the profession And then getting more innovative at the same time, whether it be lights, camera, action, which is more camera systems that are out there using this is kind of spooky, but using artificial intelligence to help us spot crime trends and where they're happening and where they can go into the future. And then our Office of Neighborhood Engagement and Safety, which is really innovative work that is getting people from the community that can help provide tips about violence that's erupting or that's being precipitated as they're happening in real time. So we've hired a new executive director for that, uh, and we're pushing an enormous amount of resources into that to get deeply embedded into the community, younger than we've ever seen before, and help spot these before they erupt into violent crime, and then try to neutralize that. Because when you have 13 and 14-year-olds that are making these decisions, I mean, we've all been there, make some hot-headed decisions when you're 13 years old. You know, you're not thinking straight. Uh, you got to be able to identify those as they're coming online and meeting them where they are. You know, I'm, uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. uh, And that officially makes me old, you know, I'm not on TikTok, I'm not on Snapchat, but I'll never forget. Every time we have a shooting in our districts, you know, we're there in the hospital with the victims and uh, the folks that are there, whether they be in the parking lot or working in the hospital, some will say like, Yeah, I saw this happening online. I saw this beef occurring in the weeks before it erupted into gun violence. And that's where we need to be. That's where the new battlefront is, is trying to neutralize that and provide mediators uh, to be able to get there before you're really talking about losing two lives. You got the victim and the perpetrator because, you know, perpetrator is going to get locked up. Savannah Police Department does a great job of clearing the cases which is, uh, an arrest in the prosecution. So you're talking about somebody that's ruined the rest of their lives by perpetrating this when they're 13 or 14 year olds making these decisions. And we have to do much, much more. Uh, it's the biggest part of our city budget. I mean, it, by and large, it is the largest part of our city budget. Uh, but we need to put more resources behind it because a life is a life is a life. It doesn't matter where it's happening. So, uh, You mentioned downtown, and I know I'm getting a little long-winded. Sorry about, you know, this, guys. Uh, Yeah, you're
0: good. You're good.
2: Up on the soapbox. One thing that we really needed to do, and uh, we caught some flack for this, but, you know, we're producing a nighttime management plan because the city doesn't roll roll up at 5 p.m. It doesn't. Um, We need to do a better job of after hours. How does the city change? And we're not a 24-hour city just yet. I mean, it depends on, you know, If you have a wild night at the treehouse, that might be a 24-hour night. But we're definitely an 18-hour city, Uh, and we have an active nightlife scene. Uh, And most of city services, you know, our city manager, our our departments, they roll out at 5, 6 p.m., but the city doesn't stop right there. So we need to adapt to meet the needs of of where we are, uh, which is we have an active nightlife scene. We have visitors that come into the city. Sometimes they're causing a lot of trouble that are out there. How can we identify them? How can we neutralize those threats before they occur, right? How can we get some intervention strategies to prevent gun violence from happening out there? And what are the security measures that we need to implement? Whether it be better lighting and camera systems, more active patrol, you know, what are those answers out there? And then committing ourselves to getting the resources where they need. And that means that, you know, we're going to have to find some innovative funding strategies and and cut some other stuff out. But uh, our top priority has to be on crime prevention.
0: No doubt. All right, there it is, Nikki P., Alderman Nick Palumbo from the 4th District, uh, on Twitter, at nick 4 Savannah on Facebook, uh, through the same place, and then www.nick4savanna.com. Alderman, we really appreciate your time.
2: Man, it is a pleasure to be with the Hot Grits podcast, the best podcast happening here in the city of Savannah and the state of Georgia. And guys, I will be here, you name the time and the place, I will be here, man. It is a pleasure. Let's go.
1: (laughs) Let's
2: (laughs) go. Pencil me in for next year, okay? All right. We'll do it. it. All right, Travis Bench. I'll talk to you all later, all right? Take care. You stay. (laughs) Bye.
0: Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Brady Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Brady Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561.